0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are online. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor at Living Water Community Church. Again, we're in the last uh, message in a series that we're calling Feast of Faith your appetite, God's word. And last week, we covered marriage and family conflicts. And I said that was an area where angels fear to tread. It's so nice to see so many many of you came back (laughs) after that message. Wow. Well, if if last week's subject was a, a, a place where angels fear to tread, then this week is equally so in terms of the subject that we're talking about. But Again, don't blame the messenger. These, this came at your request. Let's see. Somebody said, Pastor Rick, we need to talk about managing money. We need to talk about that. And then somebody else wrote, the difference between, I think they meant to say tithe, tithe and offerings. What is it and why the obedience of the tithe is so important and why is it 10% and, is 10, and does 10% mean cash, income, or is that literal? And so... These were your requests. It's the last one in the series. I'm going to tackle it. Now, there were some subjects that were turned in that that we weren't able to get to. There there were multiple requests for teachings on spiritual warfare and spiritual gifts and and, and the like and the the use of them, i.e. the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment of spirits, healing, prophecy, um, it's too much to just go over in just one. I, I mean, I, n- Let me just say this church believes in all the gifts of the Spirit, all right? Um, so we're going to move that teaching to next year. It's going to be in a, in a sermon series, and it'll probably take up its own sermon series. Um, there was one request for the story of Jehoshaphat, and, and again, uh, we can tackle that one in a series that we're calling Who's Who in the Bible, again, Next year, stay tuned. One request came in asking for teaching on soul ties. Uh, that might come up when we talk about discernment of spirits. The Bible says God has given us the ability to discern spirits and to deal with things on a spiritual level. And the last request was the Trinity in the Old Testament. They, they wanted to know where, where do we find uh, teaching on Trinity in the Old Testament. And let me just talk about one really quick before I jump into my subject matter. Genesis 1, 24 through 28 says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And that's why I don't believe in evolution. Nothing evolved from one species to another the fossil record only indicates that birds have been birds and been birds and, and, and sheep have been sheep have been sheep and bulls have been bulls. There's nothing evolving into another species. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Plural the ground. And so that's one area that may indicate the Trinity in that in that in that verse. Another one is Isaiah chapter 48 verse 16. It says, "Come ye near unto me; hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning from the time that I was there I am." And then he says, "And now the Lord God and his spirit." Now the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. And who's talking? It's the Son is speaking in this verse. He identifies the Father, the Lord God, and His Spirit, as having sent him. And in the next verse the Son is more clearly identified as God. Isaiah forty eight seventeen, the next verse says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Now Of course, most of the scriptures concerning the Trinity are found in the New Testament. John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, too, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you jump down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became, help me out somebody, flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so who is the Word becoming flesh? Help me. Turn to someone and say, it's Jesus." Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything that was made was made through him, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. And then it says, at some time, at the right time, God stepped into, uh, uh, you know, from eternity, he stepped into, into our realm, and he, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so that speaks of a triune God. Now, you'll find references to the, the, the deity of Christ in the Old Testament as well. Jesus said about the Torah in John Chapter 5, verse 39, he says, you guys, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, these are the very scriptures, Jesus speaking, that testify about who? About him, about me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you're looking to the scriptures to find eternal life. And he says, those scriptures are pointing to me. The, 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 The very scriptures are pointing to me. Daniel chapter 7 is one of them. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. He says, in my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into into his presence. So the son of man approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Worshipped him worshiped him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. And so that is believed to be the pre-incarnate Christ. And who's the only one that's allowed to receive worship in the Bible? Help me, somebody. Come on, help me, help me. God. Whenever they tried to, whenever an angel appeared and they fell down, and they said, don't fall down. We're just servants of the Lord, just like you. But when, uh, when they fell before Jesus, uh, doubting Thomas, and he says, my Lord and my God, he didn't correct him. And so the only priest that allowed to receive worship is God, all right? Then we see again in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come. Come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Again, speaking of the pre incarnate Christ. Lastly, Isaiah 9:6, for we're going to be familiar with this verse, because we're entering that season. For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor. Help me out, somebody. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and and, and righteousness from that time on. And forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so Isaiah saw the the coming of the Christ uh, some hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. And he says, and this is what he's going to be called when he gets on the scene, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, there's more, but you get the picture. Um, But study it out for yourself when you get a chance. Now, concerning money management, our subject for today the Bible has a lot to say. Probably a a good time to cover as we're entering the the Christmas holiday season where we're all encouraged (laughs) to blow up our budgets, (laughs) buying more and more plastic things that the Little darlings are happy with getting for about a day or two, maybe a week or or worse. And and, um, and worse than that, you, you have to say that all that stuff that you worked all year for, when they ask, or they don't even ask, they just believe it. You have to now somehow claim that the the a, uh, a giant jolly leader of the elves living in the North Pole gave it to them. Now, full full disclosure, I've got four kids, and uh, like in your house, it, it came up. Uh, and when it came time when they asked that when they popped the 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 Santa Claus question. Uh, you know what, like, listen, if you're watching <laughs> and you have little ones in the room, I'm going to give you about five, seven seconds to just cover their ears. Cover their ears or send them out the room. You can bring them back in. I'm, I promise you I won't be on this topic alone. Four, three, two, one. Okay, I said uh, when, when my kids asked, you know, who Santa was, I told them it was me. Yes, it's me. Now, of course, my kids were too smart to believe that and just leave it alone, Ricky at the time. So he turned around and he said, okay, then, then, then how, how does the other kids get their, their toys? <laughs> to which I responded, I said, uh, to how, he wanted to know how do I get from house to house, basically for, overnight. And I said, I don't. Th- their parents do because their parents are Santa for them. And I left it at that. Uh, As far as I was concerned, they weren't going to treat you know that jolly old elf good during the year, (laughs) thinking that he gave them all these gifts (laughs) when it was me and and his mother. And so that's how I did it. Now back to the subject of money management. Does Jesus and God care about money? Does He care about money? Well, someone did the math and discovered that there are some 2,350 Bible verses that reference money or possessions. They say Jesus taught on money or possessions more than the subject of heaven, hell, prayer, or even faith. In fact, some 30% of his parables deal with money or possessions. And what did he basically teach? He taught that that how you handle your money has a big impact on almost every area of your life. How you handle your money has an impact on every area of your life. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He says, Jesus speaking, he says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about, what's the word they use? worldly wealth, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Then he went on to say, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, the Pharisees who daily loved their money, verse fourteen, heard all this and he scoffed at him. I'm t- understand what's going on? He's preaching, he's teaching. There's always a crowd. There are people who want to hear what he says, and there are people who are trying to catch him in the things that he says, and there are people who are just absolutely hating the things he says because what? What? Uh, uh, Pastor Sean and Miss um, Shelley, they have some. There's some kind of Jamaican power. Uh, Parable where you throw a stone, and it, you throw it into a pig pen, and whoever it licked, that's who it squeals. It's some something along those lines. <laughs> I know I'm getting it wrong, but you get the picture. The one who's squealing, that's the one who's. Has the issue? Well, the squealers at this point are the Pharisees because he just made a point about money, and he says you can't. They they considered themselves religious. They dotted every I. They crossed every T. And now he's saying you cannot serve God and money. And it says they became enraged. They daily loved the money. They they scoffed. They scoffed. It did not say enraged. It says they heard this and they scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. Don't turn to someone and say, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. What this world considers super-duper valuable as far as God's concerned it's, it's pavement in heaven. The streets, the streets of heaven are paved in gold. We, we, we're going to walk on it when we get to heaven. Come on, somebody. So, yeah, what was Jesus saying? He was saying how you handle the material wealth that God gives you is a direct reflection of what's going on spiritually in your life. And it will reveal the priorities of your heart. Now, let's be clear. Money isn't everything, and we're definitely more than what we make. But if he can't trust us with honoring or handling of the resources he gives us, how can he trust us or bless us with more important areas of our lives? And what are some of the more important areas of our lives? Our marriages, relationships, our families, our integrity. By the way, these are the only things that are going to follow you in heaven, not your money. Your relationships, your integrity, how you lived, not your money. So if you want God to trust you with what he calls true riches, we have to learn to manage our money in a way that honors him. And so with that said, I've come up with five decisions that we need to make to biblically manage our money in a way that will honor him. I invite you to write them down. Number one, you have to determine your priorities, determine your priorities. Make a decision who or what is going to drive your life because when you're chasing after the dollar and the dollar becomes your be-all and your end-all, it puts everything else out of whack. Money is an okay slave, but it's a horrible master. It's a horrible master. If money is your master and you're chasing after it and it becomes your life's mission, you're going to be pretty miserable in this life. Because just like the stock market, your moods are going to go up and down like it's like a a bipolar individual. You're going to be happy when you have it, even if it's temporary and miserable when you don't. Listen to what the wisdom of Solomon said, reportedly the richest man alive at the time. He, he had more money than anyone on the planet at the time. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Verse 12. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich, he says, sell them, get a good night's sleep. In fact, that's, you know, sleeping, sleeping uh, medication and all these other things, probably number one sellers in, in our country alone. Well, Pastor Rick, well, I'm not rich. No, don't say you're not rich. Compared to the world, every single one of us are rich in terms of running water and electricity, roof over our heads, access to food, uh, roads. You're sitting in an air-conditioned church. When I go preach in other countries, very seldom there's air conditioning. When I go preach in Jamaica, the places I preach, they don't even have windows or doors. You're rich. Average world lives on like $8 a day. Solomon says people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich shall them get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments and turns sour, and everything is lost. And in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I've noticed one thing, at least, one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their. Lot in life. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps us people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Come on, somebody. That's my... That's my desire. I don't want to be so busy enjoying life that I don't have to, have to worry about the, the, the failures of, of, of my past. Now, he said a mouthful in those 20 verses. He says, Those who love money never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. He says, Naked you came into this world, and every single one of us, aside from this, the suit or the dress they put you in on your, you know, when they bury you, you're going to leave. Naked. Work is a gift from God. He says it's a gift from God. We'll touch on that a little bit later. And Jesus summarized it all this way when he walked the earth in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Anyone believe that? If you, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Now, again, the word in terms of what Jesus is saying is, is, is priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom, not second, not third, not after, you know, or, you know do whatever. He says, I want you to put first the kingdom. And then his righteousness, he says, and then I'll make sure all these things will be added unto you. And so let's go ahead and answer the why the tithe question. Let's, just, let's answer that right off the bat. First of all, tithe means what? What, what does tithe mean? Ten. ten. Ten Ten percent of what? Ten percent of what, whatever God gives you, right? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, I'm reading from the Living Bible. It says, bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing, help me, is to teach you always, help me, to put God first in your lives. What's the purpose of tithing? To put God first in your life. Again, why the tide? Because it establishes God as your first priority in your life. It's something that even as a nation we thought was important, especially during World War II, and, those, and the world was inflamed in with wars, and you've got the communists and the dictators all over uh, saying that there is no God, there is no God. And so our country decided, you know what? To remind us not to fall into that trap, we're going to put a little saying on every single piece of currency in in this country. What is it? In God we trust. Why is that there? To remind us never, ever to put your trust in that money, but to put your trust in God. Come on, somebody. That's the wisdom of our forefathers. Now, it's not the only indicator money's not the only indicator of where your heart and your parties are, but it's a big one and, 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 and tithing when we start to do that because it reflects uh, our heart, it, it, it teaches us to put God first in our heart. it also comes with a promise and a blessing. Now I didn't say it, God didn't. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel, And it's a call to repentance because of something they weren't doing. In chapter 6, he says, the Lord speaking, he says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. They were experiencing nothing but problems, and God is now letting them know why they're experiencing problems. You have left me, and I'm asking you to return to me. And what was their their response? But you asked, how can we return when we've never gone anywhere? They didn't know what he was talking about. And then he explains to them, this is what I'm talking about. You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. One translation says bring the whole tithe into the strongho- into the storehouses. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, here's the blessings. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And so the tithe says to the Lord, I know where my blessings come from. Come on, somebody. I know where my blessings come from. And he's asking them to bring the whole tithe. What, what's a tithe? 10%. What's a whole tithe? Well, a whole 10%. What were they doing? They were giving 1%. They were giving 3%. They were giving the change out of their pockets. And he's saying, listen, that's the reason why there's holes in your pocket. That's the reason your crops are failing. That's the reason, you're, you know, these things are taking place. That was the economy of the day. He says, if you do it, I promise you I'll pour out a blessing because it reveals your priorities. And clearly, he says, "You're not. I am not your priority. Your stuff is. You are. But I am not your priority. And so the tithe is 10%. And the principle is, is this. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you in advance. I'm getting this material from Dave Ramsey. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this is how it works in terms of my life. There's the Bible. There's the purpose-driven church, which, which the Lord uh, turned me on to many years ago when I was starting this church by Rick Warren. And then right under that is Dave Ramsey's material on managing finances. I am telling you, it is worth reading and understanding and putting the principles into practice. Let me just give you a few of them. He has a thing called the 70% rule. The 70% rule. This is what Deb and I do. This is what we've done for years because it works. The first 10% of what God gives you, we give right back to God. First 10% goes to God. Write it down. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, help me, somebody help me, with the first fruits of all your crops. It says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And then somebody might say, well, Pastor Rick, well, I don't have anything to give to the Lord. The reason you don't have anything to give to the Lord is because you haven't figured out the priority of the first fruit first. Let me explain. The tithe is built into the provision. Now, if we were back in the day of Jesus and and, and we were an agricultural culture, the provision that, that they used for money was was the first fruits of their the fields, the wheat, the first fruits of their their uh, trees and all this other stuff. and they would bring the first the first of it that came up. of that they would set aside and they'd bring it to the storehouse of the Lord to reveal their their heart to the Lord. We are not an agricultural culture in this. We are an industrial, we are technological, and, and what God has given us is money, all right? And so the first fruits of the money, when I say it's built into the provision, The tithe is built into whatever God has given you, for instance. If God has given you a dollar, what's 10% of that? If God has given you $10, what's 10%? If God has given you $100, what's 10% of that? $1,000. So the only people who can say they don't have the tithe are people who can honestly say, God has given them nothing. Raise your hand if you can say God has given you nothing. What? No hands? The bum on the street. I say I use the word bum. I'm, I'm sorry. The person who's having a difficult time on the street, who, who I pull up to and, and they're holding up the sign, and I hand them a dollar or five dollar bill. In the five dollars is the tithe. How much is it? Now they have a choice. You know, they can spend it all, burn it all, or they can say, you know what, God is my party. I'm so grateful. I was I was standing outside. I, I went to the Jamaican uh, what is that Dutch pot. And there was a and there was a guy that was outside on hard times, you know. And uh when I was coming out, he just looked genuine. Because if they look like they're going to spend it on drugs, I, I'm not going to give you any money. But he looked like he was just having a hard time. So I just, I handed him some money. And he said, thank you so much. God bless you. I said, God bless you. And I got to start to talking with him. He has the tithe. Now, if he wanted to, he can say, you know, let me go find a church or whatever. It's built into the provision. Does everybody understand that? Okay. So the first goes to God. The second 10% goes to savings or debt. Now, if you have debt, let me just tell you, I'm talking about money management today. Pay off your debt first, excluding maybe your house. But if you can pay that off, that'd be great. Uh, Starting with the smallest to the largest, and they call it debt snowballing. You start paying off the smallest one. When that's paid off, you take the money that you would use for that, put that on top of the next one, Double that one up and start paying that one until it's all gone. Now, here's why. Here's why. Listen. Ellen is 30 years old and has a a $3,500 balance on her credit card at 18% interest. She makes the minimum payment each month. How old will she be when her credit card is paid off? How old will she be paying minimum? How old? Someone said 45. Someone said 8. Who said 8? 8. She'll be 70 years old. 3500 she's going to be paying that minimum payment every year, every month until she's 70 years old because of the 18% interest. Now, to, that's ridiculous, right? Um, and that's why if you decided, okay, well, I'm just going to start to save first, if you put it in the bank, how much interest are they giving you? <laughs> Not even one. I went in there and said, well, I can switch your bank. I can switch this one to a, a right now, I, my checking, it wasn't even anything. It wasn't getting nothing. I said, "We well, could switch it to the thing if you promise to keep an X amount of money in there. I said, how much more? 0.5%. What? <laughs> Just keep the money where it's at. You know? So if you're rocking credit cards at 18 20%, whatever it is, and you're saving and you're getting less than 1%, you're being foolish not to pay off those credit cards. Matter of fact, if you're not zeroing out your, your credit cards every month, you are getting hosed. You are getting hosed. Don't buy groceries on your credit card unless you can pay it off Zero at the end of the month. Does that make sense? Now, if you have no debt, you need to be saving some of what God has given you. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Turn to somebody. Look them in the eye. Say, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools... Spend whatever they get. Proverbs thirteen twenty two says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Not just your children, but your grandchildren. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. They say, look at this, that the average Japanese saves 25%. Average European, 18%. Americans less than five. That's a problem. Most financial advisors say we need three to six months of savings to insure against emergencies and what's going on in society. And emergencies happen. And I would also start, given what I see happening in the world today, I'd start putting away food too. Now the third 10% goes to long-term savings or investments, long-term savings or investments, i.e. your retirement, and future family planning, Social Security is not going to be enough. What's the average Social Security payment? We talked about this. It's, the average is about $1,100 a month. If you put no other money aside for your retirement and you just depend on Social Security, can you live in South Florida on $1,100 a month? You can't, you can't rent even a room today on $1,100. That's just rent. We're not talking about food, medicine, and clothes, and TV. I mean, gas, car. So if all you're dependent on today is Social Security and and people my age and younger are are not even sure that's going to be around, you're going to be in trouble when it comes time to retire. So you have to put money away. And I suggest... Uh, some people aren't even putting 5% away. Start, start small, but start putting some money away, all right? But I suggest 10%. So the first thing that needs to, you need to do is the next thing is, again, if you're in debt, decide to get out of debt. Make a plan to get out of debt. Proverbs 22, seven says, The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. Remember that old Disney thing? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. <laughs> you, nobody knows what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Well, when you're a slave to debt, it's I-O, I-O, it's off to work I go. I'm, I'm just saying, he can't, you, you gotta work. All right. It says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower slave to the lenders. Psalms 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. By the way, that's the other benefit of living debt free and, and saving. When a need comes by, you can just write the check. Because you because you have it. Hebrews 13:5 through 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and what's the word they're using? And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So, so we will say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can men mortals do to me? And so he's telling us to be content. Probably the number one cause of debt in America today is our yearnings exceed our earnings. Our yearnings exceed our earnings. The saying used to be there are two types of people in the world, the haves and the have-nots. A fellow by the name of Earl Wilson says, no, there's three types of people. He says, you have the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Full disclosure, I've been all three of those at different times in my life. (laughs) All right. But I only want to be the first one. I've only strived to be the first one. And I made a decision many years ago. I'm only going to be the first one if I can help it. Now, in order to get to that place, you have to set a goal to be debt-free. It cannot just be, okay, a dream or a wish. I wish I was debt-free. No, set a goal and get on that path. Write it down. I want to be debt-free by X amount of dates or whatever it is, in two years, in five years, and you set a goal to work toward becoming debt-free. Now, why do we want to do this? Again, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, I want you to read this with me. One, two, three, go. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, don't be a slave to anything. All right, let no debt remain outstanding except one. We're never going to fulfill my obligation. I'm never going to fulfill my obligation to love you. Amen? And to love each other. That's the only debt that should be in our lives the obligation to love each other like Jesus loved us. Amen? Number three, in order to get there, we have to discipline ourselves in small financial ways. Emphasis on the small. Everyone's heard that old statement, how do we eat eat an elephant? Someone say, well, Pastor Rick, I don't eat elephants. You know what I mean. You eat an elephant one bite at a time. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Rick, when my debts are so big, I won't be able to get out of them in my lifetime. That may be how you feel, but in fact, if you start to trust Jesus in the little things, this is what he says. Matthew 25, verse 23. He says, well done, you good and faithful servant, said his master. You have been faithful in managing small things. So I will put you in charge of large amounts. Come on in and share my happiness. You've got to start with the small things. Now, again, I've been there. I've been so stressed out over bad business decisions that I've made in my past get-rich-quick schemes that I got bought into that turned out to only hurt us. Finally, I had to turn things over to the Lord and put my trust in him. And, and when you do that, I promise you, he will see you out of it. He saw me out of things, and, and, he, and, he, and but it all started with taking that first step, taking that first step. Now, what are some small commitments that you can make today if you're going to take that first step? You can make a decision that, um, you know what, today I'm making a decision to get out of debt. I'm making a decision to get out of debt. You can make a, a commitment to practice what you've learned today. You can make a decision that you, that you don't have to keep up with the Joneses, amen? Come on, somebody. This Christmas and fill your house with more plastic things that you don't need or can't afford. Uh, what's, what's one small thing that you can cut back on this week? This week, think about it. Who says Starbucks? Someone said Starbucks. Someone said, so I heard you. That $8 Starbucks grande pumpkin latte. You can cut back on that. Do the math. Do the math. Even if you only went four times a week, and some of you are five and six. Four times a week, $8, a and the grandes are small, isn't it? They got it all confused there. I don't even know what I'm looking at. I don't even like to look at them. I'm like, what is this? They're all fancy. Four times a week, $8 a cup is $1,664 a year. Coffee. It ain't that great either. Okay, the pumpkin latte is pretty decent. I'm a Dunkin' person. It's not quite that much at Dunkin', But I do go there quite often because I could afford to. Come on, somebody. Determine your priorities. Decide to get out of debt. And then discipline yourselves in small financial ways. Number four, discover the joys of generosity. Now, let me explain. People mistakenly think that the secret to happiness is how much you get. And it's probably the opposite that's true. The secret is in the giving. Acts chapter 20 verse 35. It says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, and this is what he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we see that generosity reflected in Jesus' life himself in John three sixteen and 17. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And so we know that the that the root word of miserable is the word miser or cheap, like the Scrooge at the beginning of the movie or the Grinch. Who was the guy I was asking someone? Who was the dude in The the Wonderful Life? Who was the the bad guy? What was his name? The Wonderful Life. No one has seen The Wonderful Life. No one has seen that movie. (laughs) Say it. Mr. Potter, Mr. Potter, There's 150 people in the room, and I got to be the one to ask and answer my own questions. you all seen the movie. If you haven't, it's a great movie. But they were miserable, the way they acted at the beginning. Now, concerning our stuff, and, and that's the, the money went, Someone said, Pastor you got to retire that. I said, I'm never retiring that one. I, I love that video especially when the subject comes up. He says, but whose money is it? Proverbs chapter 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's, help me out somebody. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Does everything in it include everything in your bank account? Your portfolio, your... IRA, is is your car, I mean your house, all that that stuff that was made was made from material that they got from the earth, and God gave it all for us, for our enjoyment, he's not trying to take it away from us, you know, and so it all actually belongs to him, whatever you have, whatever I have is our loan, truthfully. And and the the prophet uh, Solomon said for our short lives, because the average life expectancy is about 70, 75 years. Eternity is forever, but while we're here on this earth, it's just a short time. And he point makes the point. He says, be content, work hard. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, if you're chasing money, you, as far as your happiness is it's a ridiculous concept to be doing. Proverbs 11:24 says some people give much but get back even more. Others don't give what they should and end up poor. Proverbs 19:17 whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Who will reward them? God. In other words, you can't outgive God. He says, if you give even a cup of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. All right? And so lastly, what's what's number one? Help me out, somebody? Determine your priorities. What's number two? Uh, Say it out loud so I can hear it. Okay, get out of there. What's number three? It's almost like I said five different things. That's what some. sounds. It almost sounds like tongues. What's, no, what's number four? Okay, let me give you number five. Number five is don't delay. Don't delay. Get started today. This is the time of the year especially. Now, a lot of us have this, I, Pastor Rick, I'll, I'll do it when I get to it, syndrome. You know it. You know those people. I'll do it when I get to it. Someone once said procrastination is like a credit card. It's a lot of fun until you get the bill. Listen, if we go through life ignoring God's principles on finances, eventually the bill is going to come due. And you can come forward for prayer, (laughs) you know, but there are no magic wands for. Just mismanaging what God has given you, you know. Because sometimes you you live within your means, you live on the budget, and you trust the Lord, you know, for your resources. But you, if you can get to the place where you can live on the seventy percent, and you give God his ten, and you and you save uh, ten, or you, or you get out of debt, and then you invest in ten, and you learn to live on that seventy percent. You won't have manage, money management issues, all right? And then do whatever you have to do. Okay, if this is an area in your life that's out of control, get help. Get counseling, you know? Get material. There's so much material out there in terms of money management, Christian-based money management that that blow your mind. And this is the one area in terms of tithing where he says, test me. Put me to the test and see if I won't open up the the windows of heaven. No place ever in the Bible God says to put me to the test. In fact, he says don't don't put the Lord to a fullest test, you know, except for this area of giving. And why does he say it in this area? Because Luke 16, 15 tells us why. He says God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And unfortunately for many people that's, well, that's where it begins. Your priorities start with wherever your heart is. Where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. Does God need our money? Absolutely not. What he needs and what he wants is your heart. And when he looks at your heart, the same way he so told to the Pharisees, he looked them in the eye said, Jesus. Jesus told to him and says, listen, you cannot serve God and mammon okay? You will love one and cling to the other. You will reject one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mammy. You can't serve two masters. I don't want you to be slave to running after things. He says, I want you to prioritize me in your life and then to watch what I do. My life first, many of you know it by now, is Matthew 6, 33. I've been living that way since I'm in my early teens, when I moved out of my house at 18 years old, it's, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, and all these things will be added unto me. All these things. And all these things he explains in the previous verses, verse 25. Read it when you get a chance. Things that the world, everyone's looking for. roof over their head, food, clothing. You know, you need transportation. It may not always been the best transportation, but it got me from point <laughs> A to point B. I used to drive a little Dodson. I bought it for 100 dollars It was stuck together with, with Christian bumper stickers. But it worked. And he provided. I was talking to someone this week. And they're, they're worried about what's gonna happen in four months. I said, listen, is God meeting your needs today? Yes. Has he mentioned these in the past? Yes. Has he ever failed you? No. Why are you worrying about four months from now? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, on all these things will be added. But the issue is always going to be the heart. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. And he'll put his finger. What is it? For <laughs> some of you, it, it, it's whenever this message comes up, you're the one squealing in the pig pen. When, 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 twice lick, what is it? Help me out, somebody. How's it going? Where are my Jamaicans? You know what I'm talking about. Twice lick, it, well, whomever it lick is whom it squeals. <laughs> I, preach on pre- I preach on giving twice a year. If you're here today, God wanted you to hear this message might be something that God is dealing with you. Start. Do it now. Start now. And start even in small steps. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do my best to bring this area under obedience to you and then watch you move. But he wants your heart. If he doesn't have your heart and and you give of your finances, giving is not going to keep you out of heaven. I mean, out of hell. (laughs) It's not. God wants all of you. And it starts with your heart, a surrendered heart. And so as we come to a close today, if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, that's where it starts. Acknowledging that you've blown it, of course, we all have. There's none righteous, no not one. I was talking to someone this week, and he called me up out of the blue, and he says, and he's made a lot of mistakes in his life, a lot. He said, Pastor Rick, he says, I'm worthless. I said, you're not worthless. God doesn't die for junk. You've made mistakes. You're not a mistake. Come on, somebody. God will accept you just the way you are, mistakes and everything, but you've heard me say this before. He loves you way too much to keep you that way. And so he, you come in just the way you are. He takes up residence within your life, within your heart. And then he starts to work on the things that are issues. He'll start to heal the brokenness. He'll start to point out the things that are not going to be helpful to you in the future. I said, what you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus. And in the surrendering of your life to him on the daily, literally what the Bible says, if you walk after the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So when I start to fill my life with the things of the Lord, the whole of the flesh becomes weaker and weaker. There's no magic wand. I wish you can come down. I said, there's people who've come and prayed for them and things have broken off of them. Immediately, I said, That's rare. Most of them, they surrender their lives. They start putting their trust. They humble themselves. They surrender their lives. They start putting their trust in Jesus. And as they stay close to the Lord, he he starts to deliver them from those things that have been plaguing them. Have you given your life to Christ? If you've not yet done that, that's where it starts. And if you've not done it, It would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer. So everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I've blown it in multiple ways. Said things, done things. Things I'm not proud of. I thank you for sending your son Jesus, 2,000 years ago to, to die on the cross, not for his sins. He had none, but for my sins. I believe that he's the Messiah, the one that you've sent, that you spoke of through the prophets. Jesus says the scriptures testify of him, of me, and I believe he is the one that was sent to pay for my sins. And I accept that gift. And today, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my heart to you. Every area of my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to prioritize you in every area of my life. Including finances. So today, Father, I surrender to you. Fill me with your spirit with your power and with your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love To spread like wildfire. So, thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.